My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here, and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because they're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions, that's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right, my Eagle enthusiasts, this edition of Fairway Rolling brought to you as always by our beloved friends at Callaway Golf, originators of original content, original golf content like Home Course, part of their Golf Lives series. Home Course, Callaway sets out to profile the most unique golf locations around the country based on unique stories. Season two is up and out right now. There is an incredible uh, story that I watched just this past week, a brand new entry covering a golf complex in New Orleans, Louisiana, that was rebuilt after Hurricane Katrina. You see the authenticity of some locals getting back into a site that was dramatically affected by the hurricane, but they're all out there golfing, and you see kids picking up the game. It's a great edition of Home Course. Check it out. Today's episode of Fairway Rolling also brought to you by Destination Kohler in Kohler, Wisconsin, home of Whistling Straits, Black Wolf Run, and the 2020 Ryder Cup. The 2020 Ryder Cup is at Whistling Straits. Next year's worldwide rivalry could be decided on one of the most challenging finishing holes in championship golf. It's number 18 at the Straits. It's called Diabolical. It's spelled D-Y-E-abolical because... Pete Dye, as we all know, was the designer of these uh, these venues. Gather your birdie buddies for the ultimate tournament-style summer golf experience. Get rolling to DestinationKohler.com to book your package today. That's DestinationKohler.com. Hello, friends, and welcome 
to this golf podcast unlike any other. Oh, we have done it. My eagle enthusiast, my far pal. Welcome to Fairway Roll in the Golf Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your starter, Joe House. This golf podcast is brought to you by our terrific friends at Callaway Golf. It is rapidly approaching the end of the 2019 golf season and we have just a couple events left joining me this week from DraftKings and the Pat Mayo Experience Digital Daily Show and some liaison work he's doing with the PGA Tour on DraftKings Daily Fantasy. Pat Mayo is here to share his thoughts about how the playoffs are going and what he's anticipating coming up. Of course, Schusty is on. We have a little golf social to get into. She hasn't been on in a few weeks. Phil Mickelson has been up to some things, and we enjoy it. And the year of the Brooks just continues and continues. And of course, my beloved homie, Verno, is on. We're going to uh, salt some wounds. Uh, hopefully that we uh, both experience with some wagers that we may or may not have made. But the first tee is open. Let's go ahead and let out a little shaft, my friends. All right, my par-saving pals on the line. He is a friend of the program, uh, the host of the award-winning Digital Daily talk show and podcast, the Pat Mayo Experience. He's a promoter and contributor to DraftKings and OG of Fantasy National, the analytics, the golf analytics site that helps you pick winners. He is my second favorite Canadian. I kid him and tell him that uh, he's behind Drake, but really he's behind Alex Trebek. And he has some kind of newfangled relationship with the PGA Tour that he's going to tell us all about. Pat Mayo, what's happening, buddy? Not too much. Glad to be back on. It's funny. The last time I was on, I picked Patrick Reed to win Quail Hollow. He was good (laughs) for three rounds. Uh, Then he imploded. And I said, at some point, Patrick Reed is going to get a win this year, which I don't want to bury Horowitz myself and pat myself on the back. because I bet him every single week after that until last week. Oh, no. You left him off the card? Left him off the card. Uh, your, your your boy Feinberg had him, though, right? Feinberg has hit, like, five winners in six weeks. It's outrageous. He has had a baby. He's riding that baby swag. Oh, yeah. He's that, that's right. I mean, you had a little bit of that, right? Didn't you have a little ba- baby swag? Yeah, well, I had some nice baby swag hitting my Masters Make the Cut parlay. Then I had birthday swag the year before where I won, like, 20K at the Heritage on DraftKings. It was fantastic. New kitchen. There, there we go. That's that's how we do it. Um, can you please explain what the hell's going on between Pat Mayo, the Pat Mayo Experience, and the PGA Tour? Well, I'd like to take full credit for this, but it's a partnership between DraftKings and PGA Tour. They're now the official daily fantasy and fantasy game provider for the PGA Tour, so there's a relationship there. Fortunately for me... I am a contributor and partner with DraftKings, so it's a very logical choice just to insert me into that position. So now I have videos going up on PGATour.com. I have articles going up on PGATour.com. And hopefully in the future, this does lead to some sort of on-demand service where we can have the red zone for golf, a.k.a. 
trademark, the Green Zone, which would just be a perfect name, where we can actually watch people we want to watch. Like, man, I bet on Siwoo Kim every single week that I see one shot. And it's usually because he hit it into the middle of the pond. Yeah, we had a good conversation about this. I don't recall whether it was on this podcast or when I was on your podcast, where the the green zone, I mean, it doesn't the only thing that is the challenge with it is like the physical logistics. And you got your own kind of feel and flavor for what it's like to go to a a, a ballpark that's hosting an event. You were at Liberty National last week. Uh, is that the first time you've been inside the ropes at a, at an actual event? Yeah, it was. It was the, it was the first time I went as a uh, credentialed media member. It was funny because I was inside the media tent, uh, and there was a whole <laughs> bunch of people came up to me like, "Hey, I, I love playing DraftKings. I love betting on golf. I love the show." Uh, and then I met like half the other people. They're like, "Could you please explain to me what a DraftKings is, please?" Um, so, <laughs> so there's a gap we have to bridge there. I'm I'm with you. I I was at the uh, I was in Memphis for the uh, St. Jude the WGC event down there, and I also was a credentialed media member. And I walked in there, and nobody said a damn thing to me. Nah, well, it's because you do audio. When they hear you speak, they'll do it. When when you got your face plastered on everything, you name a show <laughs> after yourself. The symbol of the show is your face. It's all a branding thing. You got to get yourself out there. I guess you're right. I got to work harder at that. Well, I, I was watching your Twitter at the PME is where our listeners can find it. And that's where I saw you walking the grounds at uh, of, of Liberty National. And I said, what the hell is going on here? Pat Mayo is inside the ropes. So what was the video that you shot? So I shot a quick like, you know, yeah, for Twitter, everything needs to be less than two minutes and 20 seconds. So I'm out there standing on 18. Uh, Brooks hits a ball over my head while I'm filming. I was like, but he didn't seem to be too concerned about it, so I assume it wasn't going to hit me. He killed <laughs> it, just absolutely crushed it. It's funny when he saw when I saw him on 18 in round four, like he just completely mangled the exact same shot. I was like, he got like 50 yards short where he hit it during the practice round. But I was just trying to get a sense of like because there was a lot of talk, and it, this happens a lot. Like, and we're in that same situation with Medina this week that you get the coverage of it, you see the pictures of it but you're always looking for that player on Instagram. I remember Patrick Cantlay at the U S open being like, Hey, this is what the rough is like eight paces from the green. Like my, my ball is gone. I'm not getting it out of here. So I wanted to get a feel for the people out there. Like here's the fairway. It's three paces until you get into the fescue, but the rough itself really wasn't that big of a deal. It turned out those like little weird tributaries were a bigger deal than anything. Yeah. The guys didn't seem all that uh, flummoxed by the rough, but I mean, especially our boy Jordan Spieth, it was wonderful to have him return to competitive golf and see him on a weekend doing a little something. But he did not like that tee shot on number one. I mean, they, 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 he figured out both left and right um, how to put himself in harm's way. Which is funny because that was one of the easier par fours on the course. The funny thing with Jordan is he gained... 8.3 strokes putting last week. And it turns out that, like, that's just an outrageous amount of strokes to be gaining putting and still only coming in sixth. Like, any time that you gain eight strokes putting, you really should win a tournament. But it was the first time he gained over three strokes with his iron since the Northern Trust a calendar year ago. So maybe something clicked for him. He still can't drive the ball for nothing. But uh, if he's not putting like this, I don't have the highest hopes for him. The clicking is the thing, right? Because that sort of implies that there's something going on 
in the six inches between his ears. Um, you know, the toughest six inches in golf. <laughs> oh God, the middle-aged white guy golf humor. So terrible. But hey, you, you, port- you could be on you could be on the CBS broadcast. I'm not gonna lie to you. That's pure <laughs> CBS humor. <laughs> well, I, I do want to talk about and 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 let's go down this rabbit hole just for 10 seconds. How good is Phil Mickelson going to be if he decides to do it? And I really, really, really hope somebody says, here's $20 million. Just do it for one year, Phil. How good is he going to be as a, as a commentator on television with the stories he's going to tell? I mean, if he replaces Nick Faldo and you know just gets in the booth and, and goes nuts, and, if, and, and, and he gives us the golf version of Tony Romo. Did you see his latest uh, uh, fireside with Phil? Yeah, fireside with Phil and Tiger. It was pretty. This is what I mean. Whoever's whoever's producing Phil is doing a hell of a job. That's the guy that needs to be hired, at least for some sort of someone's digital team. Maybe Phil's paying him enough. I don't know, but with his reach via social media now, now that he's good at it, I mean, twenty million bucks. I mean, I don't know if golf has NFL pockets. Like, I don't know how much these guys make. Like, Nance is obviously like factored in football, basketball, golf. I, I assume that's all like one contract. But like yeah. Faldo, how much can Faldo really make? And not, I mean, not nowhere I near that. I, I made up that number. It's a ridiculous number, but, like, but you, it has to be I, a, really, a ridiculous number to get Phil to do it, right? And the, the big thing is, like, I know how much like I can monetize my Twitter and Instagram and Facebook followings for. Like, I actually have like a real number on that. I can't yes. imagine what Phil is like. He like five, six million bucks a year just off social media. He could probably do. So I don't know if he needs to do it. No, I mean he doesn't need to do it. This is why he has. You have to offer him an, an absurd number. But let's go back to Jordan Spieth, um, because it does not seem, based on the uh, statistical achievement that he um, demonstrated over the weekend, that his problem is uh, his physical play, and the 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 performances he's had in Thursday and Friday rounds. And, you know, versus the the Saturday-Sunday rounds, I think confirm it. There's just something mental about Saturday and Sunday. He had another substandard Saturday performance uh, at the Northern Trust, but just came around and dropped on us a Sunday 67 with the astronomical putting. He has our our good friend Justin Ray um, posted in his uh, weekly must-read 10 notes that went up uh, yesterday, that he is putting better than any time in his entire PGA Tour career. He's he's averaging, uh, you know, the number is 0.86 strokes gained on the greens. That's his best total of his career. Um, but he has been so horrendous off the tee all year long, and I don't know what to attribute that to. Well, he's going through a bit of a swing change, so that could be one thing, but it doesn't matter if he keeps putting like this. Like, as we know, putting is highly unpredictable. Now, Spieth is one of the more consistent players on tour, but I look back at the beginning of 2008 when there was no player better from Tournament of Champions through the Masters, tee to green, driving irons around the green, to Justin Justin Ray, Jordan Spieth, I'm getting them all mixed up. And Spieth was... But he couldn't putt. He was like last on tour in putting for like a four month stretch. Like that stuff comes and goes. And just his entire game seems to come and go and he can't get it all on the same page at the right time. But I would be worried that this putting, like even if it regresses to where he's 
above average, but not by far the best putter on tour. Like he's going to be in shambles. And we've even seen that. Like he gained over four strokes putting at the Wyndham game 78. Um, you know, he lost like 0.8 of a stroke at the travelers. He missed the cut. Like the rest of his game can't bail himself out. Like when you see guys like Rory, or when you see guys like Dustin or Brooks and these guys, and they lose three strokes putting for a week, their ball striking is so good that they're still at least competitive. They don't win those weeks, but they're still P8. Jordan Spieth, if he has one of those weeks where the putter is like average, he's missing the cut. He's coming in last place. So until he can figure out how to drive the ball with some sort of consistency, like the guy is not going to win. That's right. And and that's the thing to me that was uh... – if you're a Jordan truther, and I kind of am, I just think it's, golf is more fun when when he's competitive, um, when he's sort of you know summoning the because uh, it's all intangibles with him. There's nothing about him that suggests like oh dominant golfer. He doesn't come down, come in and burn burn the house down the way that Rory does. Um, he just has a, a kind of swagger when when he's on his hot streaks. And I want that back. I want to see that back. I'd like to see Spieth and, and Kepka head to head when Spieth is sort of at the top of his game, when he's summoning, you know, what, what really feels like golf karma more than anything else. Um, but I, I, I do want to get your thoughts on just kind of the playoffs in general. Are, are you contractually obligated to say that you like the playoffs? Does the PGA Tour require that of you? No, they they actually do not. So I can kind okay. of go in deep on this one. I, I don't hate them, but yeah. golf is centered around, it's like the ATP championship at the end of the tennis season. Like that's worth a lot of money. It's with all the best people, but it's not a grand slam. Like golf has majors. Like, even look at the players. Like the player championship is awesome. It's now better that it's the first one out of the gate. So it gives it a bit more elevated prestige because it's been a while since we've seen something, but in like the pantheon of golf events, like, yeah, you get 15 million for winning. That's going to get everyone to show up. The, and even the BMW championship this week is probably the best field that we're going to see all season this field or last week, to be perfectly honest with you, like at the masters, you get all these same guys plus like a dozen to 20, you know, octanagerians. So that field gets weighted down at WGCs. You get Japanese tour players and Korean tour players and Asian tour players. Australian Asia tour players that they get in based on some weird qualification system. And they're just not good as the Joel Damon's of the world, to be perfectly honest. But these seven or 69, because Kevin withdraw, Kevin Na has actually withdrawn at this point. I still don't know what's going on with Tiger. I assume he's right. going to play, but we'll, we'll see about that. Rafa Cabrera Bay is actually on the ground. He just had his baby last week with Drew. So he's going to give it a go this week to see if he can make the tour finals. This event is awesome. So if you like golf and high end competitive golf, and the courses they go to in the playoffs are major venues. Like Medina is an awesome course. Uh, Liberty National is a tremendous course. East Lake is awesome. It's just everyone's kind of burnt out after the majors. Yeah. So I, in in that respect, and and I think about it the same way as you. It's great to have these competitive fields. It's great to have something on the line that motivates the guys, and that you know the something gets more and more attractive each event. And I like them rotating between venues that are, um, you know, not venues that we would not normally kind of, of see if they're like, you know, once every couple year kind of venues, I'm psyched to see Medina, uh, under these circumstances with these guys where we're going from 70 to 30, that's like legit pressure. That's a fun kind of pressure, but you made the point. It's the right point. 
it ain't none of these are, are are majors. It's just fun to have a little bit of drama for us golf geeks in August. It's a it's a fun thing to have in August. And in that respect, I think the PGA Tour got it exactly right. Let's just run this thing. Let's make sure that it's all the way done before Labor Day, before football really gets going. And, you know, let's just let the fans of our game enjoy seeing our best players because they're incented by the money go compete. And, you know, um, we're going to see some some cool venues as, uh, along the way. And that's the way I think about it. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I think they made the proper decision that, I mean, the FedEx Cup used to run to the end of September. And like, I'm not going to lie to you, as someone who does both football and golf content and shows every day, uh, hey, it's difficult for me. You know, to say the season's not going to be in September because it restarts the green briar like September 14th. But the playoffs, getting that done before the beginning of college football is so big to at least keep an attractive audience. Like the only reason people watched the tour championship last year is because Tiger won. And even the ratings versus all other Tiger competitive appearances weren't that high because it went head to head with football. So this is a better way to do it. Cutting it from four events to three events, I think is very sensible. And I don't know how the tour championship is going to work because I've never seen it practice in terms of, is it viable to say, Hey, you lead the FedEx cup standings. You start at minus 10. The guy in second, you start at minus eight. The guy in third, you start at minus seven. The guy in 30th, you're even. You're 10 strokes back. I don't know if that's going to work or not, but I like the logic behind it that whoever wins at Eastlake wins the FedEx Cup because there was nothing really stupider last year than Tiger winning the event, Justin Rose finishing an hour earlier, tapping in for par like no one cared, and he won 10 million bucks. Yeah, I, I, I didn't like that. And um, when Justin Rose missed the cut, at the masters to essentially from my perspective um that validated how uh back (laughs) walking in the back door how unearned that that 10 million bucks was i i i'm out on justin rose now i know he won at tory early in the season and and to his credit with his brand new honma golf clubs but missing the cut at the masters i don't think i'm ever going to forgive him for that yeah, well, I loaded up on him and DraftKings as well, so that didn't work. He's actually having like a nice little stretch here. He was 13th of a Memorial, 3rd at the U.S. Open. He was 20th at the Open, 11th at St. Jude, 10th last week. He also, almost like Spieth, is putting the lights out. However, the rest of his game has been really good. That he's, I'm not saying that I'm picking him at Medina, but he is the prototypical type of player that you would want at Medina. He is long enough, he's great with long irons, and his short game is top-notch. Yeah, I mean, having said all those things about those bad things about Justin Rose, he is, you know, you absolutely have to have him, I think, in, in, in lineups and in any kind of one and done stuff. If, he, if there's any chance you have him left, um, he, he's just that this is exactly the kind of setup. He's a 2012 Ryder Cupper. You know, he has that good mojo to pull from. So let's go ahead and then just talk about um, what you're anticipating this week at Medina. What kind of uh, attributes, based on your uh, diligent fantasy national scrubbing, your analytics scrubbing, um, what are you anticipating in terms of skill sets that are going to make a difference here? So yeah, I really have to make a gut choice on this one because it's over 7,600 yards. So it's long, obviously. Uh, two of the par fives are not reachable in two, though. So I started kind of racking my brain. I went back and I looked at 99 in the 2006 PGA Championship, just to look at the leaderboards. I don't really care that anyone played that week. 
Obviously, Tiger won both of those. But just to see who are the other players inside the top 10 who performed well that week and what did they do particularly well? And uh, shout out, uh, Canadian number one Canadian Uber driver, Mike Weir. Uh, he played uh, well both those years. The, the final round 80 with Tiger, co- tied for the league in 99, wasn't great by any means. But he rebounded with a top 10 in 2006. Uh, but he's not a long hitter. He was never a long hitter, even in his time. Uh, Ian Poulter is someone who finished inside the top 10 in 2006. And he actually led the Ryder Cup in points uh, between both teams, between the Euros and Americans in 2012. He is not a long hitter. He's never been a long hitter. So I do think that there is a premium this week on hitting fairways, being good with long irons, and being able to get it up and down from around the green. Like, uh, I take Corey Connors every single week. He's really an analytics darling. But <laughs> if he misses a green, it's a triple bogey. He missed a right. five-foot putt on the 72nd hole to cost me my top 20 last week. My biggest oh. bet of the week. And I back the guy. Like, it just, the guy can't putt. The guy can't chip. The one week he putted, he won by like eight shots. It was incredible. It's heartbreaking. I um, am interested in uh, a couple other of these guys that that were 2012 Ryder Cuppers. I am with you on uh, our boy Poulter. I mean, he's he's definitely going to get s- some of my bit. What do you think about uh, Webb Simpson this week? See, I'm just never a web guy, to be perfectly honest with you. And it feels like <laughs> I understand. It, it just it feels like he hit his peak. He went on that run. He had the second, the sixteenth, the thirtieth, the second, second, and he came off of it a little bit. He's not a great driver of the ball generally. And if you look at the tournaments where he really popped in terms of driving, like he was, you know, he gained at the RBC Canadian Open. He gained at the Wyndham Championship. He lost strokes last week. He lost strokes at the U.S. Open. Um, one of the things that people get confused about with stats is everything is weighted against the field that you're in. So it's, you could figure out a way to try to give extra weighting to like last week's field is a very good field. The WGC field is a very good field. The U S open, a very good field. The Wyndham championship, not so much. Webb should be beating those guys in approach and off the tee. He's a class player versus you know guys who are coming over from like Malaysia to play to see if they can fluke into a tour card. Um, so I don't love him this week, although he is one of the better long iron players on tour. It's usually just his bent splits. Like the guy is lights out on Bermuda putting. He's lights out on POA putting. He's neutral on Bentgrass. And if he doesn't have one of these like exhilarating performances on the greens, like he was on another type of Rose and Spethian run in Canada, nine strokes game putting. The U.S. Open, eight strokes game putting. Uh, St. Jude, seven strokes. Wyndham, five strokes. Last week, two. And would he come? 18th. If he's not yeah. leading the field in the most hard-to-predict stat there is on a weekly basis, then it's tough. So Webb is the type of player that I would want to target, but I think that Poulter is sort of like the discount Webb this week. Like, Webb's coming off at 22-1, to Poulter's 55-1. to Just give me the 55-1. to Yeah, I like that. I haven't had a chance to look uh, at this other guy that I'm going to mention to you, another 2012 a uh, Ryder Cupper that has shown some signs of life over the last, say, five weeks, and that's Brant Snedeker. Um, I, but I, he's he's definitely got to be in higher than thirty to one, right? Let me look it up real quick. I don't believe he is. I think Snedeker is firmly in that forty range. I could be no, he's fifty yeah. to one. So there you go. I, I, you have any feeling for him? I think he's a I think he's a better DraftKings player than a bet. He's probably a better top ten bet than an outright winning bet. 
yep. but like his 4.9, and everyone can find this on fantasynational.com. You just click on the player and boom. But if you track his like round by round, uh, which is one of my favorite features that you can go see what they did in a particular round. And Snedeker's a really interesting case only because he had that one really, really, really good round last week. We've seen this from him before where he has, has this, you know, he shot the 59 at Wyndham last year, goes on to win by just treading water the rest of the rounds, being good, but not great. And basically last week he was great for one round. And then the rest of the rounds he was okay. One round he was actually quite terrible, but I don't know if he can piece it together in this sort of big boy course, just because he's not a great, he too is not a great driver of the ball. He sprays it everywhere. Like we talked yeah. about, uh, he almost has, suffers from a case of the webs. And I do think that driving and driving accuracy by itself is going to be very important this week. Like the type of player besides Poulter, who again is not another great driver of the ball. And I just like that he has seen this course in two different conditions and he's priced appropriately. It was third in approach last week uh, at the Northern Trust and a great part three player, but like Ryan Moore, Kevin Kisner, that type of player, even Abraham answer riding for Molinari's down to like 55 to one, those mm. shorter players that gain a bunch of strokes off the tee so they can hit their driver and they can be accurate and keep it out of that crap. Like there's, these are tree lined fairways and they're all good around the green as well. And good with a long iron. It's that type of player that I think is going to do well. Now I could be completely off base with this because everything else that I've read be like bombers, 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 but I think people might be in for a bit of a surprise this week. All right. That's enough on Brand Snedeker. Who do you like to win? So I actually really like Justin Thomas. I just hate the numbers so much. He's down to 14 to one right now. I just look at the past four tournaments. He's gaining over five and a half strokes on approach. The ball striking is completely returned. The short game has never been a problem. Guy can't putt. It's weird. Over the past 24 rounds, he's now 60th in this field coming into the week in terms of strokes game putting. So he just needs to be, he's almost like if he just gains two strokes putting, the rest of his game is so good that he should be fine and would probably end up winning. But my first bet as of right now, and I'll talk about some doubles a little bit later on, because those are a lot of fun. The corn fairy out there this week, you can do some stuff, but I like Cantlay at 22. I just, yeah. I'm not making the same mistake I made with Reed. Like I've been on Cantlay for like three weeks now. He led the field in birdies last week. The approach numbers weren't great, but that was really just one round of poor performance. He's the best in the field from 175 to 200 yards over the past 50. He's 11th from beyond 200. So long irons are good. He's a great driver of the ball. He's improved his around the green game and he's a better putter on bent than anything else. So my card starts with him and it drops to Poulter at 55 Hideki at 55 because the dude has been close all year long. And, and it just seems like the past two winners, of the BMW, you got like Mark Leishman and Keegan Bradley. Now, I'd say Hideki falls more in the Leishman camp, but he's better than both those players. But that's where he's being priced right now, as he's like a third-tier, fourth-tier type player. And we all loved him a month ago. It just hasn't really come through for him. So when you, when I see those big numbers next to Hideki, I tend to pounce. And, of course, I always bet Siwoo Kim, so I bet Siwoo Kim at 200-1. to one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the Siwoo love is is just unparalleled. It's my my favorite thing. I'm with you on Thomas. It uh, I've been I, – I had him – I was looking for something out of him at St. Jude because um, we're like now we have lots of confidence that the injury situation is definitely in the rear rearview mirror. He's hitting the ball uh, consistently 
well in the categories that you just described, but the putting is so I bet I bet Justin Thomas in a fourth round matchup against Bubba uh at the WG St. Jude. And he he just went out there and slopped his way around. Now Bubba got hot and then tried to let Thomas come back at the very end. Bubba uh double bogeyed and could have easily triple bogeyed 18 uh in the fourth round of the WGC St. Jude. Um, but, uh, Thomas was just uninspired and I don't know what to attribute that to. Maybe he didn't have good enough barbecue down there. Well, I, I think it's, it's funny. Like when we think about the injury, the injury to the wrist, he came back at Memorial and realistically, like he played one bad round there. The second round was a disaster. His first round was actually quite good. Uh, but since then he's played, let's see here, 23 rounds. He's lost strokes, ball striking to the field twice in that time. So it's never really hurting me. It has been the putting. I don't know if that's a mental thing or if that's really where the injury came in that he just lost his stroke a little bit, but he's progressively been getting better putting. He's no longer the worst putter in the field every week. He's like the 50th worst putter in the field every week, which puts him just below average. So I'm just saying like every time that he gets a chance to really Gain half a stroke around JT, and you're going to win this week. And he plays great golf on bent grass. I like him at these longer courses. He has the right shot shape. But so instead of betting him at 14 to one, what I've done is taken. I took Brooks because Brooks are like the very, very top guys. He's eight to one. I'm never going to bet eight to one guy because that's not my game. But I took Brooks and JT uh, and paired them together. And I went over to the Corn Ferry playoffs and. Who do I see at the very top? You got Victor Hovland over there, who is by far the best player in this field. So wow. he's 10 to 1. So I parlayed them together. Uh, this worked yes. out for a couple people a few weeks ago. They hit the Morikawa uh, Kepka double. So that pays like 96 to 1, something like that. So I've taken uh, the two guys. I actually made an outright bet on Adam Spenson on the Corn Ferry Tour. He's 90 to 1. Um, I mean, I was betting the guy at 110 to one to win a PGA event three weeks ago. I might as well bet him at 90 to one to win this event. So I've just paired those two guys together, parlayed them with the other two, and get some big odds on this stuff. Yeah, no doubt. Where is the Corn Ferry event this week? I mean, that's that's something I would probably like to know. Here, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're betting it, but <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter. You're just betting the, hey, the class. Like- you you want you have the class of of player that that you have in mind. You have your eyes, your heart set on a on a guy. It, it's irrelevant where they're playing and and what the statistics suggest about how guys. Because well, Hovland is a no brainer. I mean, you just go ahead and bet him to win. That makes sense. Yeah, and, and that's the whole thing. Like I'm looking at the odds right here. It's like he's ten to one to win this, the Nationwide Children's Hospital Championship, and he needs to do well in order to get his tour card for next year so he's not back on the corn fairy tour but like then the odds like if you can cap this field know a ton about this course i feel like there's a lot of value to be had like kevin chapel in this event for the first time in like six months he's 55 to one now harris english is 33 to one someone named christopher ventura aces pal he's 28 to one justin harding he's 30 but then you look down like i said spenson is 90 um who else is down here? Like Ben Martin. I haven't heard of him in ages. He's 140 to one. Like there's some really deep odds. Grayson Murray's back. He's 55 to one. Bo Hostler is 60. Like it's a really strange field full of, you know, that regular tour guys that just missed out on the FedEx cup playoffs, but they're all being devalued except for Hovland and Harding versus like these, you know, I mean, I love Lonto Griffin. He's my guy, but you know, should he be the eighth favorite in this field with PGA tour regulars? I don't think so. 
Oh, I love this. So the corn fairy parlay, you're calling it a double. We need to come up with a name for this. This is a, a I love this strategy. I'm joining you on it. I'll have to figure it out. Uh, I haven't, I, I, I didn't even crack the book on the field uh, of, of this. I mean, it is a neat thing. Again, uh, also proper for August. It's a, it's true relegation in the way that um, folks who pay attention to soccer uh, get on pins and needles with Premier League and those those things. You know what what teams are going to stay in the upper echelon or in what teams are going to uh, drop down. That's exactly what's happening in golf right now. These guys are literally playing for you know the professional livelihood. So lots of pressure, and it does you know some of those names you mentioned. Those are guys that have won on the PGA Tour. These are these are you know PGA Tour winners out there classy golfers i mean it's worth you know 20 bucks right these parlays at the at the odds you can get yeah hell i mean if you do the spenson parlay with brooks and jd or even cantley you throw five bucks on that all of a sudden you're looking at like 350 to one so it's pretty fun the tournament's actually at ohio state university so sure that for yeah uh, why not find the guy but the, the guy who won last week bo hogg on the Corn Ferry Tour. I think he's an OSU guy, so it's like a home course for him. Uh, I think he's like 45 to 1 or something like that. But you can also get real tricky uh, and throw, I mean, that's a double. You could throw a triple in there by going over to the Czech Masters. We got some guys in the field this week. Pepperell, <laughs> Westwood, and Wiesberger. Uh, get the European Luke List, Eric Van Ruyen. So then Victor Dubesal is back. So there's, there's guys. You can play a triple if you wanted to. Eddie Pep is what is he? Eleven to one. So you could do Pepperell, Hovland, and Brooks. That that probably is going to pay like you know, like a thousand to one or something. That that's really good, and I like that. We'll call that the fast play parlay because you have both Brooks and Eddie out there throwing shade all over uh, my boy DeChambeau. And we'll, you know, Hovland can just be along for the ride. He's he's new to all of this. He's just happy to be there. He's got a, that big smile on his face. Um, I, I do you care about the slow play? I mean, it, it is the thing that dominated the headlines because poor golf media has to have something to write about. Um, what is your your sentiment when it comes to this slow play controversy, smallest C possible? I, I care and I don't care at the same time. Like, this story doesn't become a real story if it's not Bryson who's the culprit because people hate Bryson's guts. Uh, I <laughs> They really do. So. Like they just want a reason to not like him. I'm going to play that parlay, by the way. It pays a thousand twelve hundred and eighty-six to one. So a five-dollar bet gets you sixty-five hundred bucks. Go boom. Okay, How about that this? Wins. Pat, oh, I've I've spent a hundred dollars on worse things. What if I just put a hundred dollars on it? Uh, you could retire. You wouldn't need to do fairway rolling. <laughs> you do it for free. <laughs> I, I, I no no comment on that. Um, but that, uh, that is a, but, but a terrific. Go you, ahead. Do you do you care about the slow play? Like it sucks being a viewer, but there's a lot of like things that we don't know that go into it. Like did I was complaining for ages when Spieth took you know 89 minutes to hit a shot at the British Open and killed by Matt Kuchar bet. Probably because I had a Matt Kuchar bet. But Kuchar was eating a sandwich in the middle of the fairway, and now he was in the final group. We've seen this with J.B. Holmes a whole bunch of times, and you can argue it one of two ways. Maybe the tour enjoys this because the longer players take, the more live rights and broadcasts that they have, meaning the more they can actually sell ad sponsorships for commercials. So it could work out really well that way. I think for actually watching golf, uh, it's horrible. But if 
the and you and I talked about this when you were on my show that if the direction in the production truck of golf was just a little bit different and they had more of an ADD sort of lifestyle, we didn't need to see Bryson line up his shot for ten minutes before he hits it. No one would really notice. You could show eight other shots in that time, cut back to Bryson, and all of a sudden he's shooting and no one notices. Well, that's that's the point, and this is goes right to uh, the concept we talked about at the opener. If this would be a green zone risk, right? If you are watching a, a group because you have an interest in a particular player and that player happens to be paired with a slow poke, then you're stuck because that's, that's you know, you're going to watch J.B. Holmes out there, uh, you know, grind his tee ball on the first tee, you know, not sure what, what club to hit, whatever indecision he might have. And you're going to watch Bryson go through, you know, uh, five stepaways, uh, before he's ready to, to putt and, you know, Jim Furyk with his uh, step away putt strategy and Jason Day, although who knows with Jason Day and, and Stevie breaking up, maybe that will help uh, Jason Day pick it up a little bit. But that's that, that only really applies if you're watching a single group all the way through. Otherwise, you hit the nail on the head. It's up to the production of the, the TV broadcast, which at its guts, to me, this is an entertainment product. So I'm watching it to be entertained. I want the competition. I have a rooting interest on certain players. I'd like to see those players occasionally if they're, you know, in contention. Um, and beyond that, you know, it, it really just is a matter of the players to sort out amongst themselves because if somebody's getting an unfair advantage by how long he's taking, if he's genuinely affecting the play of his competitors – then that that needs to to you know be addressed. They they need to get to the bottom of that. If if it's tilting the playing field in any kind of way, um, then that's worth it. But otherwise, like for, for me, consuming it, watching it on television, I mostly don't care. Yeah, and if we talk about like a green zone thing, like if that ever becomes a, a real thing that you can purchase, I mean, you can have eight, eight different golfers open on your screen at the same time. It's like when people used to play like poker stars, they used to play eight tables at one time. You can just have action going on whenever you want on your screen. So I don't think it would be that big of a problem. It's when it's on, and it was on PGA Tour Live, and you have the one group to look at. Then right. it became a major problem. But Feinberg put it best. Like, he's not breaking the rules. Like, if you were submitting your taxes, and there was a tax loophole, you would take advantage of it, wouldn't you? Oh, I, I take advantage of tax lo- loopholes with regularity. Are you kidding me? This is one of my specialties. Yeah, so y- and you're not breaking the law, so what's Bryson really doing besides being Bryson and aggravating people? That's exactly right. Well, on that note, speaking of aggravating people, I'm going to let you go, but I need one thing from you. I know uh, NFL season is fast approaching. You and your crew are very deep in all uh, NFL, all of the fantasy guidance. But uh, one thing that caught my eye, uh, you have coming out this week, your uh, forecasting of over-unders, and I'm interested in whether or not you have a position on the NFC East and perhaps the team in Washington, because I already have uh, uh, some action on that. You have action on the under, I'm guessing? I, I would think that Washington, along with Miami, are the two worst teams in football. Well, we, 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 you and I, this is no surprise to anybody, see the world the exact same way. So I have them, I believe, under either six and a half or six. I have to go look. I made the wager as soon as the news came out about Trent Williams being dissatisfied with 
the uh, the the treatment he received, the physical treatment that he received, and 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 his return, and the fact that he was uh, threatening a holdout. This was at least six weeks ago. I immediately bet a thousand dollars on the under, um, but I, I I just don't remember whether it was six and a half or six. Either way, I feel pretty good about it. Well, that has been adjusted now. It's down to five and a half now, and you can get plus money on the under. You can get plus 120 on under five and a half wins on Washington. <laughs> really want to. Uh, one of the better bets, uh, I was talking to uh, Adam Levitan earlier today, and he really likes the Eagles just to win the division at even money, just based sure. on the, the train wreck that's going on in Dallas right now. But I was kind of talking like, when the, the problem with these future bets is like you bet a thousand dollars and you're going to be happy to win your thousand dollars at the end of the year, but you're tying that thousand dollars up for 17 weeks. It's a lot of time. Like think about how many intermediate bets you could make with that thousand dollars instead of tying it up in one thing over the course of 17 weeks. Like win totals are super fun to talk about, but you really need to be very selective. Like I don't think you want to bet like 20 of them just because your money no. gets tied up. And I know you're going to want to bet week to week. Like the one I've been eyeing, for a while is the bears under it's at nine and a half, but now I got to lay minus minus one forty to bet. I got to find a nine out there. Maybe they'll give me even money. Yeah. I like that. I, I, and the other thing to do, uh, well, I, I already confessed that I'm a, a violator of, 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 of the, the tax laws. Well, I didn't really confess it. I'm a loophole searcher. I also look for ways to not have to front the cash when I, when I make these, these kinds of wagers, Pat Mayo. So, uh, well, see, we that, just... that, that, that is a, that is a much better workaround. Just bet in Bitcoin. Then you're good to go. There you go. Exactly <laughs> right. Whatever your bookie will take in the meantime, whatever you can pledge, whatever collaterals out there, even if it's a kidney, well, it's okay. I'm fine with that. How, how about this bills to win the AFC East 10 to one? Absolutely not under no circumstances whatsoever. Are you the the only reason you would bet that is if you were anticipating that the um, Patriots bus is going to drive off the mass turnpike and go down an embankment and and all eighty players uh, break their their uh, their legs? I I think it's just one Brady injury away. Like you know, ten to one, Brady gets hurt or falls off a cliff. Like I don't think it's going to happen. But now you're asking me if you played the season ten times, the Bills win that division once. I think that they do. I think they win it more than once. Maybe they win it twice. Uh, I think they're going to have one of the best defenses in football. And people are sleeping on my main man, Josh Allen. Like, everyone talks okay. about like, oh, Baker. Ba- Baker, year one to year two, he's an MVP candidate. Sam Darnold, year one to year two, he's a dark horse MVP candidate. Josh Allen, oh, he sucks. He'll never get better. That's impossible. <laughs> like, what if he does? What if he gets 30% better? Like, he was okay last year, and the Bills, he was great. Well, you know what? It's not going to get 30% better this podcast. Uh, I'm glad that you gave us four minutes of NFL. I always appreciate Pat Mayo at the PME on Twitter. Check out all of his golf content. You only have two more weeks to do so. The BMW championship this week and then the tour championship next week. Pat, thanks for coming on as always, my main man. Oh, for sure. And don't forget about the swing season. That's where the real money is made when the books stop paying attention. We're going to start that up right at the end of September, right? Yeah, yeah, I think Greenbrier September 17th, something like that. Yes. Uh, we get a course we know. Perfect. That's right. Let's go, let's go win some tickets. I'm in. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right. Thanks, dude. All right. My thanks, as always, to the number one DraftKings homie, Pat Mayo. We have Golf Social with Megan Schuster. Schuster coming up next. But first, quick word from Zip Recruiter. 
Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes is a confusing review process, but today hiring can be easy. All you have to do is go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash rolling. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. They don't stop there. They have powerful matching technology. They're scanning thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and inviting them to apply to your job opening. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you don't miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. That's an 80% hit rate. I wish my golf wagers had the same level of success. Right now, listeners of this fantastic golf podcast can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Roland. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash R-O-L-L-I-N. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, it's been a long time since we've got social here on Fairway Rolling, and a lot has happened now here for Golf Social. Megan Schuster. Hey, Schusty. Hey, House. It has been a long time. How are you? I'm, I'm spectacular. We had some mediocre outfits out there at the Open Championship. And uh, none other than Shane Lowry in all black went out and <laughs> brought home the, 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 the title. But, you know, we, we, he, he was there was a bright green light shining on him. All of Ireland, the, the Emerald Isle was uh, resplendent in their enthusiasm for Shane. So he could wear whatever he wanted. Everybody was going to be, be just fine with how he looked. Yeah. And I got to say, I'm kind of glad he didn't fall into the like trap of being forced to wear green you know like the black was pretty uninspired but i gotta say it was at least sort of intimidating which i appreciated slimming as always which is great and you know he he avoided being kind of a cliche by wearing green so i i was okay with it i was all right i like the sunday badass move i'm with you on it uh i i endorse his play was intimidating enough his iron play his his wedge play especially was just so sharp over the weekend. It was a joy to watch. And that was one of us, like another, we had uh, a real feel-good story to end the major season. But it feels like that was a long time ago, Schusty. Um, Some things have been happening on the interwebs, including the ongoing, never-ending Phil Mickelson content machine. We have so much to talk about with Phil that, like, it's honestly hard for me to prioritize which videos and tweets I want to ask you about first. But I think I want to start off with uh, your thoughts on his very, very brief video with Bryson that he recorded last week, which I will say was kind of a tough look for Phil because he posted it right before Bryson basically became enemy number one on golf Twitter for his slow play. Um, But... I don't know if you saw it. He was wearing a shirt with a couple of Latin phrases on it, and they were basically just trying to 
I don't know, show off their collective brain power. But um, if my Googling abilities are up to speed, the shirt translated roughly to you do not understand. And Bryson responded something along the lines of like, I understand. So I wanted to get your take on that one first and also his latest installment um, of Fireside with Phil, which we can talk about in just a second. Yeah. Well, I want to go even further back because I don't think that we had an opportunity to exchange notes on this beforehand, but he took a picture of himself uh, hiking and for for half a second, like you can't tell from the angle or, you know, from the circumstances surrounding him because it was a, a, a selfie. And this is one of Phil's um, <laughs> favorite tricks. His head is so big, it, it tends to fill up most of the frame. So you didn't really get a f- great feel for whether or not he was putting himself in any danger. But it looked like he could have been near the edge of, of whatever trail he was on. But he made a point of of giving a shout out to to the Acadia uh, trail that he was hiking. Did I get that right? Um. Yes. Yes. In the Acadia National Forest. It's the Preci- Precipice Trail, it looks like. Um, my main, my main takeaway from this was it looks like he's hiking in either kids or boat shoes, um, which is <laughs> Twitter, really, really concerning Twitter was really to me. wondering. It didn't really feel like much of a hike if you're in those shoes, right? I feel like it can't be. I mean, where he's positioned in the first photo, like there's no tread on those shoes and he is standing on like almost a downward slope. And, you know, if this was a video, I would be pretty concerned that he was just going to slide off the face of whatever this mountain is that he's this on. This is my concern. Exactly. <laughs> Don't do it, Phil. It seems pretty risky. Like, at least if you're going to do this hike, wear some adequate hiking shoes that aren't just going to, you know, fly out from underneath you when you're taking you, risky photos like this. That's right. You and I are in lockstep agreement. <laughs> Great. Get, somebody needs to send him some boots. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he can get a nice boot, uh, hiking boot sponsorship for next year. Yeah. Because he needs more free stuff. He can't just buy it with his own money. Right. Right. Yeah. It was so, great. But I, I did see the Bryson one. I did admire the timing and, and the irony of that timing <laughs> uh, in view of, of the subsequent developments with, with Bryson. Bryson... The interesting thing is we really had villain weekend last weekend. We had Bryson who's really worked hard to to grab the villain mantle from Patrick Reed and oh, and 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 for reasons, you know, unrelated to like the quality of Bryson's play, uh but more you know, obviously we could beat it into the it's been beaten into the ground this mm-hmm. the slow play thing. And then Patrick Reed went out and won the tournament and, you know, Twitter loves, uh, you know, all, all of the villain memes. The, the crying Indian is my favorite one. Um, but, but, uh, a a wonderful week for, for golf villains. Yeah. I, I will give some props to Bryson for actually, you know, as we've come into the following week, it sort of felt like he actually stole the story from Patrick Reed, which is not an easy feat to do. Um, especially when, Golf Twitter seems to hate on Patrick Reed as much as it does. So I will give him some kudos for that because that was uh, fairly impressive, even though the way that he did it was probably not how he would want to. But we had a very, very uh, interesting weekend and into this week for Golf Twitter. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, honestly, the main thing I wanted to talk to you about today was the latest Fireside Phil chat, which he posted on Monday. So if you're not familiar, Phil's been doing uh, an installment or a series of videos uh, 
next to usually just like lit candles, which is pretty interesting. Um, and ambiance, ambiance, yes, ambiance above everything. And in this one, he advertised that he was having a chat with Tiger Woods. Uh, in reality, Phil was set up at a table with like a couple candles near him, and I couldn't even tell if they were actually lit. And he seems to be next to what I think is an just an iPad with Tiger's face on it. It's a little bit unclear. Uh, he goes on in the video to reminisce about the three times he's beaten Tiger, and he goes into detail on the 2012 AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am where Tiger was matched up with Tony Romo and Phil was partnered up with Skip McGee. Um, so in this story, the night before the final round, Jim Nance is organizing a dinner. Phil ends up seated next to Tony Romo at this dinner who's playing with Tiger the next day. Uh, Tony that morning tells his caddy not to bring up the dinner in front of Tiger because he knows his playing partner will get annoyed. Uh, Phil also knows this but decides to antagonize Tiger. So after they tee off on the first tee, they're walking after their balls and Phil yells out to Tony asking him how much fun he had last night. Um, so it's, a you know, a fun, lighthearted video with, you know, a classic Phil Mickelson story. Um, but what did you think of Phil basically talking to inanimate objects now? Terrific. Otherworldly <laughs> brilliant. I couldn't endorse it more. The only thing, now the, 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 the particular brilliance of, of his arrangement with this, and I don't know who's producing him. Pat Mayo and I covered this a bit. Whoever the, the production team is. He had the 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 foresight, the game plan there was a smiling tiger while he told the story, but then he had you know scrolled up and all he had to do was swipe left, it seemed, uh-huh. to get to this to the scowling tiger. And when he wanted to make the point about Tiger's reaction to to observing that his partner, Tony Romo, had been out uh uh you know consorting with the enemy, uh that that it was it was a it was a moment for a tiger scowl, and then he he had that scowl up there for a bit, and he said, "I I can't have it up. You need to go back to the smile." <laughs> I mean, it's just really the architecture there is 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 incredible. The only thing that would have uh, uh, equaled it to to me is is the is perhaps a doll, and maybe mm. he has a he maybe he's saving um, a player doll for, <coughs> for another occasion. Although I'm not sure. Other than Tiger, if there's another golfer um, that's been that would that, that's possibly a, an eligible candidate for for a doll. Yeah. Um, two questions for you, House. One: Do you think he could ever get Tiger to actually appear in real life on one of these videos? And two: How many steps away do you think we are from Phil getting a Mike Francesa like show where he just sits in front of a mic and talks for hours on end? So uh, I 100% think that he can get Tiger to do it. He has to agree to do something for Tiger in exchange, like mm-hmm. for the for the for the two of them. But they're they're both wheeler dealers. They both have enough going on in their lives uh, where it's in their mutual interest to do favors f- for each other. Uh, you know, not, not with starting with the match last year, um, and that's kind of come back. I believe not this year, but next year because Tiger's going off to Asia mm-hmm. this year. Um, so for sure, at some point, we will see the the, the real tiger, flesh and blood, on a on a, a fireside chat with Phil. But on the the show question, and this is um, something that also uh, we talked about a bit. I I think, and and this was it really clicked with me when he was telling you know, when he mentioned Romo, who is going to be better in a potential broadcast booth role than Phil Mickelson. 
Like, mm-hmm. what to, what would it take for all of the golf, uh, you know, broadcasts to basically like to pool their money and make it so worth his while <laughs> to appear on golf broadcasts? NBC, CBS, Fox, right? ESPN has a bit now. Like, all of them should just chip in five million bucks. Splash the pot, offer him twenty million bucks, and ask him to come on. I don't know twenty broadcasts uh-huh. and and do the color bit. I mean that I after what we saw with Tony Romo uh, and and his ability to kind of forecast plays and you know the 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 the, the real um, preternatural uh, ability he has in the booth. I, I mean I think Phil could be his rival. I'm wondering how. And I'm not sure that I have an answer to this question because I think both would be great. Would you rather see Phil in a color commentator role like Romo for golf? Or would you rather see him in sort of the Bones-like role where he's on the course and gets a chance to, like, interview people after their rounds? Because Phil as color commentator, I feel like, is excellent. You probably get a lot of really great stories and he obviously has an immense amount of golf knowledge to provide, but also Phil on the course interacting with all of these people, I feel like would just make for some iconic golf social tweets. The, the problem I have with, the, with him being on the course is how could he not upstage whoever it is that he's dealing <laughs> with? Like, I, I would be concerned about like him potentially impacting the 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 playing field, uh, you know, the the, the caliber of play mm-hmm. by being out there watching and and you know, do you think that he'd be able to not tisk tisk somebody <laughs> who miscalculated or or mishit or whatever, and he'd have an immediate analysis? I mean, this is the thing. This is why I think in that color commentator role, he's really like the evolutionary Johnny Miller, mm-hmm. and I'm so in. I I'll just start. I don't know what we have to do to try and make this a thing. He still wants to play competitive golf. Which he can do for as long as he wants, but I, I want him in a, in a broadcast booth. That that's that's I, I have found my my preferred place for Phil Mickelson his his next career. I don't know uh, what it has what we have to do with the golf gods and with the golf universe to make it happen, but I'm here for Phil in the booth. I am too, and I am also here for a potential. Uh, golf broadcast reunion between him and Bones working on the same crew. So, can you imagine that? How great would that be? Oh Bones out in the field and Phil in the booth. That would. What be... kind of direction do you think <laughs> Phil would be giving Bones? <laughs> I don't know, but all I all I do know is that I would pay a lot of money to see it. Yeah, I mean, a lot. There would be a lot of eyes on that. You're absolutely right, Schusty. Mm-hmm. We have a uh, we have a couple more tweets that we have to talk about. Uh, first. I wanted to discuss the year of Brooks continuing apace over the weekend and his use of uh, media and social media. Um, His Sunday morning, if you were on Twitter, started the day with some fireworks because on Saturday night of the Northern Trust, Brandel Shambly was on Golf Channel discussing the pace of play issues that had arisen throughout the weekend. Uh, On the broadcast, he said that he thought... um, Slow players weren't the rudest players on Twitter, but that fast players were actually being rude um, because if they hit the ball up in front of them, they go stand in front of the person who has to hit. And, you know, Brandel basically said that's not proper etiquette. And to illustrate that point, he referenced a video where it appears that Brooks is standing a little bit ahead of Rory while he is waiting for Rory to hit a shot over the weekend. So, of course, uh, our pal Brooks is not going to leave that comment unaddressed. 
So Sunday morning, he tweeted out, don't worry, I wasn't in the way at Shamley Brandle. If it was you playing, I would never... I would never stand there. Since it's Rory, I felt pretty confident he wouldn't shank it. <laughs> Which it was top notch. I, I couldn't have enjoyed it more. Yeah, just uh, just iconic. Um, and then, so that was before, seemingly before he got to the course that day. Um, a few hours later, he got to the course, and Eamon Lynch tweeted out that. Uh, Brooks's caddy was standing on the putting green getting ready for the day. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau walked up and told him to tell his boss to make any comment about slow play, quote, quote to my face. Um, Brooks apparently arrived shortly after that, got the message, and walked directly over to Bryson to chat, um, which I read that tweet with no further like context. Didn't really get any more context until the end of the day and spent the rest of my day imagining Brooks like basically pummeling into Bryson. So um, I was glad to read at the end of the day that apparently the chat won fine. Bryson apparently said it was awesome, which is interesting. Um, Well, what else is he going to say? Yeah. I mean, I don't really know how else you respond to that. Uh, Brooks, you know, kept his response toned down. He called Bryson slow again in his response, um, but also said, quote, everyone out here is probably a bit more afraid of confrontation than in other sports. There's always been some confrontation on the team. Sometimes it helps and you figure out what the root of the problem is and start working on it. So um, Brooks, you know, keeps up his crusade against pace of play issues and uh, gets some spotlight, even though he didn't win. Well, the big thing is, and this is uh, what you touched on in your lead into this, is him sharing himself, his personality, his perspective with us in really an unprecedented way. And each of the uh, occasions we've had to sing his praises in the majors, and Bill Simmons has been on a couple times on Fairway Rolling, mm-hmm. and he's he's been, you know, Brooks has really captured a sports fan like like Bill, like his attention. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's very widespread. Like the sporting public has been uh, enamored by Brooks because of how consistent he's been in these major performances. But what he's done in the last 12 months is share with us like like a version of, of him that was previously unknown, mm-hmm. which is a guy with um, strong thoughts on, on a variety of, of golf-related topics, a guy who's not afraid of sharing with us his like psychological composition and how it sort of, you know, the things that he's learned and his his approach, his mental approach to the game and how he has the game sort of organized in his life. And it's it's kind of endlessly fascinating. So like you just mentioned those two instances from Sunday, two, pr- you know, pretty different kinds of, of interactions. One, I absolutely adore whoever is in his team, somebody must have Brandle duty on his team now. <laughs> so it's like anytime uh, there's any, any slander that comes out of Brandle's mouth, Brooks and his people are on it. They've and, got that and Google that was, alert set up now. That, that's exactly right. He's got that on, on lock. Uh, and he had the answer right away and it was perfect. Um, and then this, the, the, the Bryson thing, I think Brooks, thinks of himself and this is part of what we've learned from him over the course of the year I feel like he thinks of himself as an athlete a professional athlete first and a golfer second and I think that like mindset is what he's like oh Bryson wants to talk to me okay I'm going to go talk to him <laughs> yeah. and we'll just have it out like you know competitors can do and we they may not agree but you know Bryson was definitely going to say 
<laughs> that, that was awesome afterwards. <laughs> you know, he, he was no part of that Brooks Kepka smoke. We know that for sure. No, absolutely. But, I, but we got a great, you know, this 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 version of Brooks, he he's uh established himself competitively as deserving of the number one ranking in the world and all the sort of uh accolades of of how he's been conquering the masters, I mean uh, the majors, pardon me. Um and now he like there's the personality that goes along with it. I don't know. I like I hate to I want I want to be careful because we 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 were and, and I know this is gonna make you feel bad. We love Jordan Spieth for the 18 month run that he had. And he's a very dynamic personality. And you know, we thought, oh God, if this could just last, mm-hmm. you know, Jordan's an endlessly fascinating character, but the golf gods, you know, took away some of his golf powers and, yeah. and Jordan wasn't up to it. No. And I I think one point that I wanted to make too. You and I talked earlier this year when Brooks first went on his pace of play um, crusade was to try and see like what kind of an effect it would have on the rest of the golf community because Brooks being, you know, the best player on tour right now obviously has a lot of clout and obviously has, you know, the amount of leverage to say the kind of things that he's saying and he's been saying them throughout the year. And I think it was really interesting now that we are coming to the end of the season Um in these, you know, final few big tournaments that uh, over the weekend, I saw dozens of other players who were also complaining publicly on Twitter about slow play. And granted, a lot of it was directed at Bryson. And I honestly, it got to the point where I started to feel a little bit bad for the guy because even though he is, you know, kind of candidate number one these days for slow play, it's really not his fault. It's but, you know, that's another conversation to have. But I thought it was really interesting to see guys, you know, uh, like even Justin Thomas responded to a tweet that gave him credit for saying near the green during Bryson's fiasco, like saying, you know, it was hard to with a clock emoji. And Rich Beam was tweeting about it. Paul Laurie, Eddie Pepperell, of course, he ripped into Bryson. But I thought it was really interesting to see these guys all using this public platform to talk about these issues when, in, you know, in the past, I don't really feel like that was as much of the case. I'm with you. And there definitely is like some kind of an an emboldening across the professional golf community where each of them are feeling slightly better about expressing themselves and letting their own personal views kind of be shared. And the focal point of slow play, which is this like perennial complaint Mm -hmm. um, that like, I don't know, some combination of golf TV and golf media and 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 the players, you know, it's it's a favorite bugaboo. I um, chat about this briefly with Pat Mayo. I don't really care. Like, it doesn't really uh, affect my consumption of the product on television. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's on from a set time to a set time. It's on like three p.m. to six p.m. on Sundays, and the vast majority of tournaments are basically wrapping up pretty close to six. Mm-hmm. They're not running over, you know, by extraordinary lengths. Um, to get the winners figured out and the TV production team does a good enough job, you know, not lingering on somebody who's taking too long with a particular right. shot. It's only like the handful of instances where um, the the outcome of the event is in doubt. Like last year, 2018 at Torrey Pines when JB Holmes effectively froze Alex Noren mm-hmm. by, by the length of time that he took uh, on 18 there, like nearly a four minute uh, shot. 
that those are the like rare instances where you're like, oh my god, this is like too much, and and he, he gets properly criticized uh, for that. But like you know, the thing that's going to change the 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 way that the tour approaches this the pace of play issue is indeed this groundswell of public uh, uh, observation from the tour because the tour is 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 its players. And if the players have reached a kind of um, frustration point where the tour needs to act and they're using Twitter as the means of, of conveying that, that's a pretty interesting dynamic. And, you know, I, I it, it is clearly affecting the playing field, I guess, the, com- the competition mm-hmm. for, for all these guys to be chiming in in this way. And so if there's a change, like, you know, it's pretty neat that that this is the way that that uh rather than assembling everybody in a hall and saying everybody raise your hand if you don't like the pace of play <laughs> like this is this 21st century you just say you know, you know, you know yeah. don't be so single minded don't you know this this is kind of outrageous this is not in keeping with the spirit of the game mm-hmm. and i think it's kind of cool yeah i agree with you i'm i'm sort of in your camp as well when it comes to pace of play like I only care about it as it affects, you know, whether Brooks is going to win or not. So, you know, when he's <laughs> yeah. matched up with J.B. Holmes, I sort of think, okay, well, this might not be his day. Um, so as far as, like, you know, it being the the antidote to Brooks, I don't love it for that. But, right. yeah, I agree with you. As a viewer, it doesn't really affect me too much. Um, but it already seems, I mean, even just from this weekend, it seems like it's had an effect um, the PGA Tour tweeted out on Sunday afternoon a pretty like bland and lukewarm press release that basically said they were exploring adjustments to pace of play, which seemed um, like kind of a good step forward, considering that the head of the PGA and the few uh, people toward the top of the organization have in the past said that they don't really see it as much of an issue. So, I mean, that's progress in and of itself. And I thought it was you know, cool that it got to the point that they had to address it on Sunday because so many people were questioning them about it. And I also think that, you know, it's encouraging to see these players, you know, maybe social media is not always the right method for this. I mean, we've seen that it's definitely not in the past, but I think in this case, it was kind of cool to see them all, you know, calling for it collectively. Yeah, I'm with you. And and let me uh, share with you my this this observation. One thing that might help the pace of play, Shusty, is if more of these guys were playing with Odyssey putters. <laughs> Odyssey dominated the putter count at the Northern Trust this past weekend. By far, the most putters in play. Forty-one percent of the putters in play were Odyssey putters. You know who wasn't playing with an Odyssey putter? Who's Bryson. That? Ugh. Bryson DeChambeau. Why do you think it took him so long? <laughs> the incredible thing with these Odyssey putters, they have uh, this this Stroke Lab shafts. It's they're multi material, and you see guys out there rolling in putts. Odyssey had the most worldwide putter wins by far in 2019, and they were a perfect. This is a. I, I was stunned to see this. Good on Odyssey. Fourteen for fourteen in major putter count wins across the PGA, LPGA, and Champions Tours this year. So in every one of those three tours, the winner of a major won with an Odyssey putter in their hands. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's as simple as just setting Bryson an Odyssey putter. Hey, we might as well try it, right? (laughs) Yeah, whatever it takes. (laughs) 
All right, Schusty, as always, uh, terrific golf social. I think we have maybe one more this year. It, 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 uh, it breaks my heart that the golf season's coming to a close, but on the other hand, eh, I'm ready for the golf season to come to a close. <laughs> Great talking to you as always, House. Thanks, Schusty. As always, juicy golf social with Schusty. We're getting on with Verno. He's got some thoughts. But before we do, quick word from our pals at Snap Kitchen. Snap Kitchen makes healthy eating easy by delivering fresh, chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals right to your door. This is a very nice service. Eating out or planning, shopping, prepping meals for the week, it's expensive and time-consuming and takes time away from your golf game. I mean, let's be honest. You could be out there practicing right now instead of going to the grocery store and planning and shopping and chopping and roasting and, and sautéing and firing up the grill. All of those things are enjoyable. Don't get me wrong. As a, as a man of the food, house of carbs... I'm not afraid to do those things, but it's also golf season. Let's go out and hit some balls. It stays light out till 8.30 at night. With Snap, meals are ready in about five minutes. So you come from the range, it's 8.30 at night. It's just gotten dark enough. You can't see the ball flight anymore. Go home and get yourself a meal from Snap Kitchen. It's sitting in their fridge because it's so inexpensive and easy to do. It's healthy eating made easy. So you can just do you. Snap's team of chefs and dietitians develop meals with well-sourced and high-quality ingredients, giving you a delicious, balanced meal with no cooking needed. That's what you need when you come off the range. You just eat and enjoy. It's fun food with serious standards. Snap's meals are made without gluten, without artificial preservatives, without artificial colors, without fake flavors, without antibiotics, without hormones. The result is meals with incredible health benefits like reduced inflammation, clearer skin, better digestion, better sleep, improved mood, and increased energy. Boy, I could use all of that at this advanced stage of my life. I mean, that's a that's a terrific menu of opportunities. They offer plans for all types of dietary needs like keto, whole 30, paleo, vegetarian, vegan, high protein or low carb lifestyles. I have been a big fan of the curry chicken. It's a really easy one that you get in there. And the thing I like about this snap kitchen, it is the right size portion. At that late hour, after you've been doing all your hard work, you don't need to down a giant meal. You just want to get something light. Take all that hard work you put in there and put it all to bed so it's ready for you when you wake up the next morning. Get started at snapkitchen.com and use promo code Fairway to save $20 a week on your first four weeks. $20 a week, first four weeks. That's 80 bucks. Snapkitchen.com, promo code Fairway for $80 off. All right, my Eagle enthusiasts, it would not be Fairway rolling without a visit. From this gentleman on the line right now, direct from Memphis, Tennessee, Chris Vernon. Yo, Verno. In honor of Bryson DeChambeau, I will not say another word for three minutes time. <laughs> that's that's going to make for a very, very boring segment here, Verno. Uh, in, in fairness to Bryson, did you see his post on Instagram today? 
Uh, he said he was going to look inward and try and do better. Wasn't that the gist of it? Oh, yes. It is my responsibility to help improve the game to be more enjoyable for all. Pace of play has been an issue for golf at all levels for a long time, and I'm committed to being part of the solution, not the problem. <laughs> He's committed. So did, right. Brooke, hey, did, did Brooks Kepka beat his ass in the locker room or what? Well, he, he said he wanted to see him face to face, and Brooks like, oh, he does? Okay, sure. You want to see me face to face? I'm right here, buddy. Let's have a chat. Let's break it on down. I'll tell you this. Hey, you know, uh, I, I was right up next to Justin Thomas just a few weeks ago, and we commented, like, he it is, it is amazing how great he is considering – how small in stature he is. That's a yes. legitimately small guy. And right. you saw the fury in his eyes. Just imagine if Kepka would have been his partner when he walked off that 70-yard pitch shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Here's the thing, and we can pick on the individual discrete pieces of this, but like the thing we don't know is where the group was ahead of them and where the group was behind them. Because the thing, the benefit that you and I have is we sat down with the head rules official at the WGC event down there in Memphis, and he walked us through the five different steps they go through before you know being in a position to actually issue a penalty for, for being out of time. And it's all in relation to the other groups. So we don't know when when uh, Bryson's walking that off. And the other thing I'll say is that's a, that that hole was a two, a, a three hundred yard par four. He hit his tee shot into a place that that you know uh, he didn't. It wasn't in his book. He didn't measure it off. Uh, you know he didn't have a, a, a yardage. He was trying to find the place to land the ball, and I, without knowing whether or not that that uh, walk-off had the effect of either delaying the group behind them or putting them out of position with the group in front of them. I'm not, you know, I, it doesn't, uh, that one didn't look that offensive to me. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'll tell you this, that putt, when he's lighted it up and looking at it from the other side and you see the fury in Justin Thomas's eyes and the problem is it's all on camera. That was the issue. That's yeah. the issue, and that's what, you know, honestly, like, if they were showing somebody else, it's not that big of a deal. But just the fact that the camera was on, and then it gets posted on Twitter, and the guy posts it, and uh, the one, I, the version I saw was, uh, basically, the Twitter video ran out before I could even get the shot. Like, <laughs> you just watched, because you're only allowed two minutes and 20 seconds on Twitter. Right. And so you saw... Two minutes and 20 seconds, and there was no putt hit, and that just set everything on fire. Yeah, and then, that, that's right. And, and then and then got everybody to comment on it. But I must tell you, that it, that pales in comparison to everything else. It, this was a disaster weekend for me, House. Number uh -oh. one, played in a member guest. Yes. Won the flight. Yes. Made it to the last hole. Or to the shootout. So to the shootout, now, right? Now, now there's going to be groups eliminated every uh, every every hole. So, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have been in these before. So, I we get to this moment now. There's 54 teams in the or 54 teams in the tournament. So now, as you know, every other cart is now watching the shootout. And so that's, now there's that's like, how it works. There's a gallery. 
And so me and my partner were high handicaps. And so we are catching a stroke on the first hole. And I stand up on the tee box and now I've got to hit the drive. And I'm not kidding you. I hit the greatest drive of my entire life right down the middle like 25 yards past everybody. Yeah, Murdo's up to the moment. It was a dream. Big balls. My partner, who is also not very good like I, stands up, laces a seven iron onto the green. We are on the green in technically one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, gross two, net one. And and just for, this is a very common format for the shootout. It's alternate shot at this point, right? Yep. You, so, yes. na- so now what we're thinking is I've got to lag this putt because he's got to make the putt so that I can drive the next hole. Yep. We're already thinking about the next hole. Mistake number it. one. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't call that a mistake. I love it. It's, it's, it's strategic. strategy. Yeah. I lag it up there, but I don't do a great job. I leave about seven, eight feet. I say to my partner, who is a former SEC football player, um, <laughs> and is a monster of a guy. I said, look, whatever you do, do not pound it past this hole because it's on a hill. Oh, Don't boy. pound it past the hole because oh, we cannot come back down that hill. I said, I don't care if you hit it a centimeter. Don't blow it past the hole. He blows it three and a half feet past the hole. Now I'm standing over a three and a half footer going downhill on an angle and oh. it and it lips we oh. four putt and get eliminated from oh the shootout. God. I wanted to die. Die. Oh. I mean, there's 50 golf carts watching us. I wanted to die. Absolutely. <laughs> like at this point, people's wives are out there watching, and I'm like, I can't. I can't. Like, and so, you know, they give me the trophy, they give me the money after the thing's done. I was like, I don't even want this. You know what? <laughs> All what I'm that... thinking about, I, I, it, and, and it gave me a glimpse into what these guys go through. You beat me to it. That's right. I was going to say. Oh, God, it will haunt me for the rest of my life. Well, here's the thing you've been in pressure situations before. It's not like, you know, over your athletic career, over your professional career, you have a way of dealing with pressure. The thing about that experience, and I have this, I'm working on it my own stuff because I want to be better at golf, is I don't have the chops to be in those pressure situations at golf. So I don't have anything to draw upon, like, uh, uh, athletically. You know what right. I mean? Like, I know I'm comfortable shooting a three-pointer. I played, you know, competitive basketball for 25 years. Like, I can close my eyes and take this three and not think anything about it. It's game point. It's eight to eight or whatever. I'm going to make the three to so we win by two because you play ones and twos when you're running pickup. Right. I'll just make it and we'll walk off. I mean, that that's it. But, like, a four-foot putt? Oh. How many times have I had that count for something? You know what I mean? Oh, and I mean, in between the Calcutta... I mean, it's thousands of dollars, and that's all that's running through my mind. Well, we, 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 we ought not to talk about it. Let's not talk about that part. We don't want the tax people coming at us. We won't say what club. Oh, wait. We won't say who the Look, member, who hey, the guest. We won't hey, talk about that. Let me tell you this. I didn't win. You can't tax nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that, hey, I missed uh, the putt. I yeah, missed got, it. For so, you, that's a four-putt zero. Now I, I, <laughs> so anyways, we that happens. So now. What am I going to do? I'm just going to enjoy my Sunday. And I'll be damned if my guy, HV3, ain't in it. I mean, he was in it, in, in it, it. I mean, he's, 
I'm like, oh my God, he's going to win this thing. Birdie putt 16, birdie putt 17, birdie putt 18. And they're just uh, like a centimeter off all of them. And then I got to watch friggin' Patrick <laughs> Reed get interviewed by Balionis after this. I'm like, you want to talk about the worst weekend ever golf-wise? Number one, I'm I'm lose. I, I've lost. I'm a broken man. I don't even want to speak to anyone because, um, you know, everybody's reaching out to me like, hey, how'd the tournament go? I'm like, I don't want to talk about that shit. So then, and then I'm like, Oh my God, my guy's going to win. He's really going to do this. He's going to get it done. And then I got to watch friggin' Patrick Reed win. I mean, what a buzzkill. I mean, it, a- it, and and on on tour, we ha- it was all villain weekend. It was Bryson with the slow pay, and everybody <laughs> loves to hate on him. And then Patrick Reed won. I mean, it really was villain weekend. Well, and, uh, and HV3. Uh, not just my guy, by all accounts, everybody loves him. Yes. He is one of the most likable guys in the sport. And it would have been his first career PGA Tour win. He has won the Australian Open, but that would have been the one. And he's right there. And, I mean, he is striking the ball beautifully. And I'm thinking, Harold's going to do this. And then, I, I mean, I, I, I've never rooted against somebody in my life like I was rooting against. I was like, Every shot, I wanted Patrick Reed to screw up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and 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 you know to to cover himself in glory, HV three, uh, I believe, led the field in strokes gained approach. I mean, it was his best ball striking uh, under pressure like that in his entire career. And that t- he tied, ended up tied third. That's his best finish on the PGA Tour. So, I mean, can't we just propel that into this week? Can't that just carry over? There's no uh, he reason. Cert- I'll tell you this, this is how I know that maybe uh, there's at least somebody out there in the desert that thinks so, because I have told you that it has been my, it has been commonplace. I have put $5 on every tournament the guy plays on to pay out 500. And this week when I went and checked, it's $5 to win 400 so <laughs> he's going up, he's moved up yeah he's, he's screwing my odds up by right. having such a great finish so not he's now plus nine thousand uh this week because i okay. always check it every week to see if he's at the tournament but yeah it's certainly possible uh if he could stay hot and if he plays like he did uh last weekend he'd have a chance but this field is obviously very, very good. I mean, this is this is a loaded field for the BMW. Yeah, this is when when it starts to get serious. I mean, yes. we, we're we're finally down to the to the top seventy. This is arguably like the best field that that you'll you'll get on tour. Yes. The PGA Championship had you know uh, some number of the top one hundred in the official world golf rankings, but this is you know the, we 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 have some guys missing. Stenson's out, and you know guys that skipped the event or whatever. But this is a, a damn good. Uh, field but this is you know it's incredible and you look up and down and there are odds on eldrick tiger woods i see well let's go ahead and jump right on to on on to that uh it is time for this week in tiger woods tiger 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 woods (laughs) so i was just happy to see him at the golf course today because I, I started recording some segments here on this podcast earlier today, and it was he hadn't arrived. So 
I saw uh, uh, on Twitter that he was there. He was putting, and it looked like he was getting some, uh, you know, some stretching and stuff in as well. I don't know if he – I didn't see him play any full shots, and he definitely didn't play anything out on the golf course. He uh, is supposed to play in the Pro-Am tomorrow. I'll, I don't know whether or not it was deliberate or was just because of the shoes he had on. He didn't look right the way he was walking from the parking lot. But I don't want to read too much into that. What do you think about him going up there uh, to Liberty and giving it a try for a round, and then just saying, "I I, I can't do it anymore"? Does that make you nervous? Does it make me nervous? <laughs> I mean, like he can't he can't play a tournament. Yeah, like I I don't know what is going on. Um, and you know we, we went right like during the British Open. Obviously, he didn't make the cut, but we thought, oh geez, man, is he just gonna? Is he just going to leave? Because remember how like that first round was just miserable, and he just he didn't look right. And I don't know. Maybe it is all of the ailments are worse than maybe he has even let on, but obviously it has affected his game. And it is crazy to think about the way it's all built up. I mean, he has not played much this season at all, House. Yeah, and I know. And you think about how good he was at the Masters. I was having a discussion with one of my friends over the weekend about it. And I said, you know, and it was several episodes back on Fairway Rolling, but I had opined with you guys that, you know, sometimes you cover these uh, NBA players and you say, hey, if you've got a, there's a contract on the line that year. We always talk about sometimes you can't trust guys that have the greatest year of their life in their contract year because it stands to reason with all of us if you told us we could make, you know, 50 to 100 million dollars by getting in the best shape of our life and being the best version of ourselves, well anybody would do that. You'd be a fool not to. But once you get that contract, do it do I get that same guy, right? That that wanted that contract so badly. Um and I I I say that to analogize with that's the carrot that is out there sometimes for guys. And then when you get the contract, there's a sense of accomplishment. And so what I had brought up uh, several weeks back was I cannot help but think, and maybe it is just all physical ailments and everything else, but that you you work and you stretch and you work out and you do all of those things. And what if what was hanging out there was, you remember that moment after the Masters where he's hugging the kids and then he said, I just wanted my kids to see what it was like, right? He had he had played very well at the very end of the tail uh, last season and then he won that Masters and he and he kept talking about his children and how they had never seen that out of him and I can't help but wonder like was that the accomplishment, right? He's he's already won the most tournaments. There's of course the Jack thing that's out there with the majors. But in terms of just accomplishments there's very few things that he could accomplish but one of them was I could be the greatest golfer in the world in front of my children and once that happened did that change things I don't I mean we'll never know we'll never know right well I we do have the benefit of how the season played out though and we can look back and observe he didn't play any events between the Masters and the PGA Championship and then he didn't play any events between the U.S. Open and the British Open. 
So I, I think there's two things going on, and I do believe what you're uh, saying about his sense of accomplishment. I think in some ways it caught him by surprise how he, his reaction to it. You know what I mean? He was definitely in uncharted waters in terms of, you know, am I ever going to be able to to uh, uh, re- get back to that level of glory? Am I ever going to be able to climb back up to the top of the mountain? And then he did it, and I think he's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I did it!" And they and they barely like it. It, it took him a month just to process the fact that he did it. So that's the thing. A, it's a thing we'll never know. House, right? Is yeah. everything different if he doesn't win the Masters? Well, and and the other part of it is this: the the schedule is different. Yeah. So there's no way for him to have a game plan that he's positive will work. Yep. On, on under this new schedule because he doesn't know whether or not it'll work. He just has to do his best like everybody else competing. And it turned out like, you know, it didn't work in his favor having won the first uh, major of the year. He didn't practice at all. It didn't seem like leading up to the PGA Championship. Then he was sick and he couldn't practice. So he missed the cut there. Now, you know, he knows Pebble Beach like the back of his hand and has enormous success there. And obviously the legend is what it is. So he didn't. He was able to go perform reasonably well there, but not really ever compete to to win that event. Uh, and then you know the British, he, he he had some travel in between the U.S. Open. He traveled internationally. He went to Thailand with his mother, and he took his kids. And then he was basically like exhausted from that, and he was also trying to get his body acclimated, his body clock acclimated to Ireland. In, in the 10 days leading up to that thing. And he was completely out of source and he finished missing the cut and said, I just want to go home. It's like, well, you've been home for six weeks, except for he wasn't home. He was out, you know, well, he's out living his life. So I his priorities think, are different. And, and it's not that he, it, it would be different if he was just playing like crap. He looks like he's hurting. You I know agree. what I mean? This, I it, totally agree. He looks uncomfortable playing. I, I, you know, if, if we, it, we're not, in a position to have a view on this. It's not our, we're just fans. We just love Tiger. But we want, you know, I would have said just then take off from the, from between the British Open up to the PGA Tour Championship and see if you can defend that title down in Atlanta. And otherwise, just get yourself right. Get yourself some good food and some good sleep and some good massage and some good therapy and work yourself back up into your swing and go do your best to defend that thing and skip these other events because just like the sheer travel of it, the process part of it, it looks like it's taking a toll on them. Okay. So we got this massive field coming up this weekend here. I'm putting you on the spot. Is he playing on Sunday? No. Wow. Well, and let me, wait, let me, let me caveat that. Uh, the only <laughs> I, I I didn't get a chance. I didn't. I don't think there's a cut. There is no cut for this event because it's seven. Oh, that's right. So now that's even a better question. <laughs> well, I, he, he. I still say no because I don't think he physically wants to be there. I you mean, he, it is. He has won there. It's Medina. He won the 2006 PGA Championship. He'll I'm just play it out, Ben. He'll play. May, it maybe out. so. Maybe so. But I, I would rather he go get the rest. Go rest and then just come out to Atlanta. Because with the cut, defend. with the with the without the cut, he's at least given a reason that he has to finish. Right? You can use the cut and just say, ah, I'm going home. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not gonna. Make I mean, the cut. he he shot four over on Thursday uh, at at Liberty, 
and and just physically he's like i i mean there's no point to keep trying right so he went home from there i'm i wouldn't if he did the same thing this week uh, that would be fine wow wow it doesn't i I mean it doesn't hurt anything but actually you know what he has to uh he's he's 38th in points right now so he he's not even inside the top 30 so he couldn't go defend so look at this i'm I'm correcting the fact pattern we so thought he was back too (laughs) well he's back he won the masters that's enough i mean but like that like that he was going to be back in the mix it, the the guy that's in the mix is Brooks Kepka. That's the guy we need to be paying attention to who's in the mix every week. Well, speaking of, let me just tell you something. You know I checked and I said uh, like is there ever going to come a day? And I suppose there will come a day, but that day is not now, Mr. House, because you are never going to believe this, but Brooks Kepka is a real underdog to Rory McIlroy in the tournament <laughs> matchups. I went and looked. Listen to this. Plus two and a half minus 120 or plus 130. Wait, what? Two and a half? Two and a half what? What are you talking about? Plus two and a half strokes. What? Hold minus 120. No. Yes. That can't possibly be true. How can it's that be true? true? It's it Brooks the- Kepka. Is this a tournament matchup or a first round matchup? A tournament matchup. No, I, 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 I hold on. I'm, I'm going on my thing. I just oh, can't believe look. that. Plus, I, it's not plus on, two and man. a half minus one twenty or plus one thirty on the money line. I'm looking at it right now. Well, I need to. I mean, I'm not in your <laughs> book because all I see is I, he's plus one ten. In the tournament matchup, I have I don't have any odds on my site that that for for strokes right now. I'm looking at it right now. Plus two and a half strokes. What what are we? Well, <laughs> how about this though? If if you bet that this past week, you would have lost. If you bet it this this you know at at, at Liberty National that you, I know. you lost. I know. It well look. We just have to decide if Brooks Kepka gives a shit about this tournament. How do we know? Who knows? Who's going to tell me? It's I, too I, hard. It's too hard to know. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead. Let's let's go ahead and get to our epic flash pick of the week. Uh, epic flash is the driver made by Callaway continues to lead all the tours as the driver of choice, and the innovative flash face technology is delivering faster swing speeds, which means longer balls in the air and longer balls on the ground. Hey, you are going to love this. No, you're. I, I did not tell you this earlier, but I swear to God, this is true. I borrowed the epic flash from the clubhouse of the club, uh, the, the tournament that I played in. Yes. That's what I hit that drive with. Wow. It was the best drive of my life. It was a, it was an epic flash, um, stiff flex, uh, nine and a half. Yep. Sure. Degree. That's yeah. what it was. That's what it was. That I, I promise you. I I used it. Um, I I asked them if I could use their demo club from their clubhouse, and they let me use it. I also used one uh, in at Cog Hill in Chicago. I played that course, and I used an Epic Flash there. It is. I mean, I I honestly have hit the absolute best drives of my life with that with that club. All not right, even close, well, not we, even close. We got to make that a permanent addition to the Verno bag then. Yeah, no, it's amazing. It really All is. Right. 
it feels different than everything else. Like I'm not, I'm not doing this as a endorsed commercial. I'm telling you, like you can swing easy, and that thing is hot. That's the it. face of it. God, I know. Dog. That's I mean, exactly right. The ball I, goes forever. This is why it's good for old men like me. I know. I, I didn't say you. I said me. Good for me because I don't have to swing. You know, I like to swing hard, but yes. Uh, you know, I, I I need the forgiveness that it, that it delivers as well. It, that's okay. real too, because even the ones that like. I didn't hit on the, you know, right on the face. Um, they would go like right or left, but not like far, like one fairway over instead of two. <laughs> so right. it was really, it was, it was either I killed the ball or like maybe two or three times I topped it, which that ain't the club's fault. That's my fault. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, they, they, there is no club they can make that's going to keep me from <laughs> pulling off it and topping a couple in the shit. That's right. Well, let me hear. What you have your eye on any particular thing? Is this matchup that you just mentioned? Are you jumping on that? This Rory oh, Brooks 100% matchup? Again? I'm jumping on that. Is that oh, do you have a is there any other picks that you have for us this week? I you know who I liked? Yeah, I look, I've always got my customary HV3. But I'll yes. give you a couple guys that I liked. I really thought Justin Thomas looked very good this past weekend. Well, and if you when you listen to this portion of the podcast I did with Pat Mayo, you're going to like what you're t- say, what you're you're talking about with Justin Thomas. Oh, I love Pat Mayo. Yeah, he's on he's on this episode. He, he's the he's the lead item, of course. Oh, I can dig that. All right, so good. I'm glad Pat Mayo likes, it. but I like Justin Thomas, and Justin Thomas just didn't make putts. That's it. He could have run away right. with that tournament, and so he is. If we're doing the whole, he's in great form. Um, he hits the hell out of the ball. He's good with long irons. It's it's just a matter of if, if he makes putts. And so the course actually sets up pretty well for him with all the dog legs and, you know, he can, he can hit the crap out of the ball. And now if he hits his irons, like he did this past weekend, I mean, it's just a matter of, you know, some weeks you're going to make the putts and some weeks you're not. Um, and if he can do one of those strokes gain putting weekends, I just thought, I thought he looked really good. I thought he played really well. You, um, you're, you're on this. You, you, you the, the stats back you up. He he co-led the field in great greens and regulation. So he was, you know, him and and I. It might have been HV three led the field in greens and regulation. And he was sixth in proximity to the hole. So what you're saying is absolutely on the money. The stats back you up. I like that. Um, do we do we rock with Jason Day because he just got rid of Stevie? <laughs> <laughs> Jason finally, Day, hey, somebody somebody's finally not telling him he's a sack of crap, and so he's, he's <laughs> look. Jason Day's been a stay away all year long. No, I, that, you know. hey, you know how funny that would be though is if he was like you know because that's one of the things is like you know you kind of need to be motivated by Stevie Williams, right? You get the gruff guy, the guy that's. You know the 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 real straight shooter. Yeah, the and, old school coach. Yeah, and I think that, I, I think J- Jason, Jason Day just couldn't take it. He's like, all right, enough with this. And so they broke up. It, it didn't last be, very long, did it? It would be so funny if he came out with like a regular caddy that wasn't like jumping his ass and telling him what to do, and he like turned into some like superhero this weekend. I You're almost right. want that to happen just for the story of the breakup and now here's Jason Day. Well, you could bet him on it. We'll call that, you know, the good story top 20. You could just do a top 20 play on. Let me see what the odds are. I bet they're plus odds on Jason Day for a top 20. Yeah. Uh, and you know, hey, and if it weren't for all these, the, the way this course is set up and all the dog legs and the fact that I don't know where the hell ball, the ball is going off the tee with Jordan 
I obviously love Jordan Spieth coming back and playing like he did this past weekend. But with this particular course and the fact that those, I mean, he is all over the place. Even that final round, the way that thing started, he hit it three fairways over. Now, in fairness, he put it on the green in two. But (laughs) it's never great when you have to instruct the gallery to move. Like the entire gallery has to move so you can hit your shot. And so being that you're having to cut all these corners in at this course, I, I I would want to rock with him, but I can't do it because of that. Yeah. His ball striking and his putting, he's, he's having his best putting performance on tour, which is insane. It's insane. Considering what, considering that run he had, Yes. Oh my God. But it's the putting is the thing that's keeping him even in these events. Like I know he would, he'd be missing the cut every week, uh, but but for the putting. So I like I I'm, I I looked up Jason Day. If you want to do a Jason Day narrative bet, that's you can play him to top twenty at plus one twenty five. So that's plus odds. If you just want to bet on, wouldn't it be funny? You know, yes. the week after Stevie, Justin Thomas to win right now on my book is fourteen to one. And I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, get speed here in a second. But you like you're gonna do a Brooks over Rory tournament matchup. You yes. you like Justin Thomas uh, to win uh, possibly at fourteen to one, and you also like uh, Jordan Spieth to win. And I'm gonna have that odd up. No right no here. no 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 no. I'm staying away oh. from Spieth. I oh, can't okay. do it. You're just I, rooting for him. Yeah, I'm rooting for him to play well again, but because of the disaster off the tee. You know, you're like with all these dog legs and cutting these corners. I can't. He's I mean, he's, a tw- I, he's he's twenty eight to one to win. So I know, but yeah, I I'll, just, I'll I'm gonna join you now. Uh, you have to listen to Pat Mayo. Pat Mayo gave out a uh, a three tour winner. He gave out a, a a parlay of Brooks Kepka, Victor Hovland, who's playing in the Corn Ferry thing because he's trying to win his card. And then, oh. and then somebody on the on the check tour. I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> but if you get if you get all three of those right, that parlay pays out like twelve hundred and sixty to one, something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> so if you want to put five dollars on that, you can listen to that one. My my epic flash pick of the week. This is going to sound like a like a little bit of a cop out. I'll join you on Justin Thomas though at fourteen to one. But I really like this idea of just trying to get a little value. Ian Poulter is available right now to top 20 at plus odds, uh, which he's, he's available at plus 125. So you bet 100, you win 125. You vote 500, you'll win, uh, you know, 625. Um, I just love him at Medina. He's playing well. He has top 10s in his last two starts. He had a top, he had a T for 14 in Scotland. I thought he hit the ball pretty damn well at Liberty last week. So I'm just looking for him to top 20 and getting him at plus odds, you know, odds where I get a return on, on my investment here. That's my epic flash pick of the week. Just, I'm just trying to make it easy at this stage of the season. All right. Fair enough. Um, yeah, yeah, the Kepka over Rory is like, that's just, that's been my ATM all season. So I'm, (laughs) I'm taking that. And, and the Justin Thomas, thing beyond the fact that he played so well this past weekend, did you see that video posted today? I can't remember who it was. Maybe, um, I'll get it wrong if I try to mention it, but it was uh, Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler, and Jordan Spieth swinging left-handed. Yeah, it's incredible. I saw it. It's it's um, it was Ricky and Justin Thomas swinging left-handed. Their swings are better than my swing that I've been playing with for 25 years. 
it was the most depressing video I've ever watched in my life. <laughs> How? How do their swings look that unbelievable left-handed? It's in them. It's in them. What could he say? They know they, golf is in them. It ain't like a, us. That was the damnedest thing I ever saw. I mean, you, you watch anybody do something with their off tan, and it doesn't. The fact that all three of them, none of them looked weird. They looked like they had professional golfer swings, just you doing know, it the you, opposite direction. You know why that is? Because they're professional golfers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's they my analysis. They don't four putt like me. I've heard out. We'll be back after. We're going to be uh, reconvened for the end of the season, the tour championship. We'll have some superlatives to get out, give out. Hopefully, Tiger Woods plays in that thing. Fingers crossed. I'll talk to you in a couple weeks. My man. Thanks, House. Thanks, Verno. All right, birdie buddies. There we go. Another edition of Fairway Rolling. We are done. It's time for the 19th hole. One last show for this season coming up. It'll be after the tour championship. We're going to have an array of our beloved pals that we've had on all season long. And we'll just put a bow on this 2019 season. Uh, hopefully, we see a little Tiger Woods before the end of this season. He hasn't announced yet whether or not he's playing at Medina. But for sure, he's got to go defend his title in Atlanta. We want Tiger in his very best form. Hopefully, we'll be talking about Tiger in a couple weeks. Until then, my eagle enthusiast, let's hit him straight out there. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.